Welcome to The Way Home Podcast, a conversation about church, community, and culture. I'm your host, Dan Darling, here in Nashville, Tennessee. Today on the podcast, I'm joined by Scott James. Scott is an elder at the church at Brook Hills in Birmingham, Alabama. Scott is also a full-time assistant professor of pediatrics, the Department of Infectious Diseases at the University of Alabama, Birmingham. He's a ERLC research fellow, and Scott James is also an author. Uh, His latest book is The Expected One. Every Christmas, Christians all over the world celebrate Advent season by reflecting on the arrival of the Messiah and the promises that were fulfilled at the birth of Jesus. In this new devotional, Scott celebrates the nativity by looking at the whole story of redemption and focusing on how Jesus' birth and life and ultimately death and resurrection fulfilled Old Testament prophecy. We're going to talk with Scott about his vocation as a Christian doctor and research specialist, but also how families like Scott's family, like my family, and like your family can really teach the story of the Incarnation this Christmas, not just the story of Jesus' birth, but the whole gospel narrative as seen in the Advent season. And so this devotional book, The Expected One, is a helpful tool. Before we begin our conversation with Scott, I want to remind you again about Evangelicals for Life, an event hosted by Focus on the Family and ERLC, taking place January 21st and 22nd in Washington, D.C. Speakers include Dr. Russell Moore, David Platt, Samuel Rodriguez, and many more. This will just really be an important time, not only to uh, take a stand for the sanctity of human life, but become equipped to be a champion for life in your community. We'll cover a wide variety of topics, including abortion, adoption, elder care, uh, and just how to create an environment that respects and honors life. If you're a podcast listener, which I know that you are, you can go to my website, danieldarling.com, click on the link there, and When you go to the conference page, you can type in the code WAYHOME when you register. That's WAYHOME in all caps and receive a 20% discount. So if you want to register before Christmas or you even want to use this as a Christmas gift for others you know that would be interested in this, this is a great time to go do that right now. But for now, let's join Scott James on the Way Home Podcast. Well, I'm here with my friend, Dr. Scott James. Thanks for joining us here on the Way Home Podcast. My pleasure, Dan. Thanks for having me. So we do want to talk about Advent, which is next week, and getting a nice tool that you wrote to help parents walk through the season with their families. Uh, but before we do that, I want to talk just a little bit about your your, your job and your background. You're a uh, assistant professor of pediatric diseases at the University of Alabama, Birmingham, also an ERLC research fellow, uh, elder at your church. So first, maybe talk about how um, being a doctor, was that something you always wanted to do growing up? Was it something like a late career move? What what is your journey into that that vocation? Yeah, no, that was definitely something I had uh, felt led towards very early. Um, I think I was about 12 years old, and I saw a special on TV in which uh, an orthopedic surgeon was using Mm. um, the same kind of power tools my dad had (laughs) on on, uh, a hip replacement, and I was immediately... (laughs) And so I was fell in love with medicine from that age on. And uh, my, my mom is in medicine as well. She's mm. a pediatric nurse practitioner. Um, and so I always, she fostered that in me. And I had a sort of proclivities towards science and biology and things like that. So I felt God's calling uh, leading me that way really early. And then by His grace, as I sort of progressed through school, the the, the my interests in that kind of matched up with uh, ability and and. I uh, just uh, have been 
working towards that to since a very early age. And uh, I'm thankful that the Lord led me on this path through uh, medical school and residency and uh, further training in infectious diseases. And I love my, my current post where I uh, academic medicine post. And so it's a mix of clinical care uh, and uh, research. Um, so I do a, a lot of uh, uh, laboratory research as well. You know, you're at a unique vantage point as a, as a follower of Christ and as a, you know, in academic medicine, as a doctor. Can you talk about, in some ways, about how your, your faith in Christ informs the way that you think about medicine and think about healing and, and sort of being in that role? Yeah, it's so vital. Um, I, <clears throat> I, from my personal perspective, I can't see doing what I do without having a biblical worldview in it. Mm-hmm. And, and that's not to say that there are not uh, many talented, um, non-believing physicians out there uh, and, and have good motivations for doing what they do. But for me personally, the way that I, I view my, my vocation, I, I see it specifically as a calling from God. In an avenue in which he gives me, um, he gives me a people group. He gives me um, a specific area to minister in, and that's either through colleagues or families that I come into um, uh, contact with, and, and that I have uh, the privilege to develop relationships with. And sometimes with these families in the hospital, it's uh, relationships that develop during the course of some very difficult seasons as they watch their children go through um, pain and suffering, and, and um, and so the Lord uh, uses that, and I believe has many people, um, just such as, you know, many, many people similar to me that are there ministering in his name at such a time as that. And uh, I, I view that as, um, it's, it's just a vital, vital part of that and a, and a privilege to be a part of it. I was, was shaped early on in my course in medical career with um, just missions work in uh, a missions hospital in Kenya called Penwick. Hospital. Some people may be familiar with. It's a it's a real well uh, relatively well known missions hospital, um, and they have this motto that stuck stuck with me very early. Uh, just on their front sign, on front of their hospital, it just says, "We treat Jesus heals," and that's something that absolutely stuck in my heart at a very early uh, time in my medical career, and uh, definitely drives 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 me on a day in and day out basis. Well, you think of the opportunity in a fallen and corrupted world for Christians to really press the gospel into the brokenness of the world in the area of medicine, just to such a such a need all around. And, and increasingly, it seems like Christians are thinking about healthcare as ministry, right? Yeah, especially as, as we, a lot of us, even as Southern Baptists, um, are sort of thinking how we can best use vocation uh, as missions, uh, and how can we get the gospel to unreached people groups, um, and sometimes going as a full-time missionary um, uh, with that being the only platform, can be difficult to gain access to places. And so uh, having vocations in which uh, the talents that God gives us here on earth can be, uh, I can be a doctor anywhere. I can I can go to any closed country and become a doctor there. Um, and, and they would welcome that in a lot of places. And that can be the, the way in which the gospel goes forth. And so that's why I think it's really important to have uh, this sort of uh, biblical worldview being the driving force uh, behind what believers do. So very much in line with Kind of the the, the thinking of there, there's no secular sacred divide when it comes to your to your work and so in healthcare that's a oh that's such a ripe area where um, it's just clear that spiritual themes are pervasive in the work that we do mm-hmm. um, whether or not they're explicitly stated or or anything like that everyone 
that's walking through healthcare crises um, are incredibly sensitive uh, and open to spiritual themes and discussions. And, and it's, it's up to us to, uh, to, to not overlook that, to be sensitive to it, and to boldly and winsomely uh, give testimony to Jesus Christ uh, when, when, when we can. Um, not, a, not in a bull in a china shop sort of fashion, but uh, sensitively listening to conversations that are happening around us and uh, testifying to truth, sowing threads of the gospel wherever you can. I, I even think about medical missions overseas, as you mentioned, and just a great opportunity for gospel, not only proclamation, but just gospel work and, and caring for with compassion for people in a medical crisis. But even here in our uh, own communities, Christians are increasingly thinking about uh, health care resources for the poor and people who can't afford insurance. Or and it, it seems like it's an increasing opportunity for for followers of Christ to use their gifts in that way. Yeah, absolutely. It's it's a it's a key area where um, the the way that the gospel shapes how we interact with the fallen world around us. Um, those mm-hmm. that are in need, those that are in crisis, those that are hurting. Um, and this is a certainly an area where it's it's one of the more readily accessible areas to to show the gospel to to show the love of Christ uh, in this in this area through using. God's gifts that He's given us in common grace through medicine, and um, using that to alleviate the needs of the world and uh, help point them to Christ. So I want to shift gears and talk about this great uh, little book that you've written called The Expected One, Anticipating All of Jesus in the Advent. And we're right around the corner from the Advent season, starting next week. And so I wanted to have you on to talk about the importance of... Uh, parents, Christian parents, you know, walking their families through this Advent season. So my first question is just kind of what inspired you to to sort of put this on paper and write this? Was this, did this come out of your own family's kind of uh, Advent worship? It did, yeah. It grew out of my home. Uh, I, um, uh, I do my best to disciple my, my wife and I together, do our best to disciple our kids in a, uh, a well-thought-out way, and that uh, happened Sometimes better than others, um, but generally speaking, we, we look at our family discipleship um, and the way that we're pouring into our kids and uh, instructing them and the uh, discipline and uh, instruction of the Lord, as Ephesians calls us to do. And, and part of that for us is is this sort of regular routine of family worship where we just kind of, in the midst of our hectic life, we have four four kids, uh, 10, 8, 6, and 4. So it's, it's a crazy house a lot of times. And <laughs> We do our best to just, uh, we're doing our best to kind of help them all throughout the, the rhythms of life um, to, to understand their place and who God is and, um, and instruct them in the Word and, and lead them in that. And we find that having a, a specific time where we sort of slow down and we all gather together and we focus our hearts on God and His Word and praying and calling out to Him and just have this sort of formal time, uh, for, I use the word formal loosely because it's very actually low-key, but we formally come together um, and, and do this family worship uh, as a way to catalyze the rest of our family discipleship and, and uh, nurturing and instruction that, that we do. Um, so it's kind of a home base, like a little deployment center where we come together and we glory in Christ together, uh, and then as we sort of scatter throughout the rest of the house all the rest of the time, these things, the conversations come back up again. Um, and so in doing our family worship, um, we were coming up, uh, this was about five years ago, we were coming up on Christmas season, and I was saying uh, I wanted to capitalize on this time of sort mm-hmm. of increased interest where they really are 
keying in on the biblical themes that are in the world around them as the world is celebrating Christmas season. And uh, I was looking for resources and was finding that a lot of them were, were manger-centric. And that's to be expected. I mean, it's Christmas. It's the incarnation. That is what we want to focus on. But I wanted to demonstrate to my kids um, that the birth of Christ was the culmination of a lot of promises from the Old Testament, um, but that those promises didn't stop in the manger. Those promises went on to give a display of a well-rounded picture of who Christ was going to be, what he was going to accomplish, how he was going to live a life of obedience to the Father, how he was going to accomplish um, deliverance on the cross and, and raise triumphantly from the dead, uh, and then furthermore, how he would go on to, to reign eternally. And so I, I, I wanted to celebrate Christmas and the nativity and the manger and focus on that, but I wanted to focus on it as a well-rounded picture of the Christ that would um, come from from that you know miracle child that appeared in the manger, uh, and, and so that's I, I essentially um, set out to to do that, and, and so I kind of crafted these these verses um, to sort of give this well-rounded picture of uh, sort of you know the, the promised Messiah as he was uh, clearly depicted in the Old Testament as the coming prophet, priest, and king, the uh, the eternal reigning Savior, uh, and so I did these. Uh, verses in the home, and we did them for a few years, actually, in the in the home, and my kids really loved them and, and were thriving in, uh, in allowing these to kind of be the, the jumping-off point for further discussions. Eventually, my uh, the kids' ministry at my church got a hold of it, and um, uh, some other families at church started to use it, and it sort of spread outward from there. So it, it, it came from, from the home, through the church, to the local church, and uh, then sort of gained a, a wider audience through publication after that. So I'm, I'm thankful for that sort of path. I, I, I personally I, I like that um, uh, there's lots of reasons to write a book, but I am fond of uh, the, the baseline reason that I had was I was just trying yeah. to serve my kids well and point them to Christ. And I'm very, uh, it's very gratifying to know that other, other families, um, other churches can um, benefit from that as well. Yeah, I, it seems to me that parents really need to be intentional during the Christmas season to to kind of walk their kids through uh, and and kind of teach them through. It's a great opportunity. I know in our family, just a great opportunity to to teach them about the incarnation, to teach them about the gospel. There's so much going on in terms of you know gifts, and the kids are keyed up about what gifts are we going to get and where are we going to go and how are we going to do this and 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 a lot of that's really fun. But it seems to me, right, that this is a, a really a, an important role for parents to play, right? Yeah, yeah, and and the, the intentionality that you mentioned is very crucial in this because uh, at least I, I'm depending on where the listeners are living. Uh, you're in a society, a culture where um, the, the the Christian aspects of the of the Christmas season um, are, are usually still around somewhere. I mean, even if you're uh, living in a relatively, um, I, I'm in Bible Belt, Birmingham, Alabama, and so they're they're pervasive here. Um, and if, even if you're in a more um, uh, secular city, the, the themes are still out there. Um, and so there's there's the risk that your kids are going to catch on to the fact that this is about Christ, but then connect it in a more real and practical and tangible way. That the end game of all this is the hubbub of the Christmas season and the gifts and the, uh, all the, all the kind of you know, commercial type stuff that, that goes with it. Um, and so I, it's always a danger when, uh, this, that sort of like worldly commercialization sort of thing intersects with 
some stream of biblical truth. And there's this concern that I have as a parent that the kids are going to conflate mm-hmm. the two uh, and, and that they're going to just sort of run together and they're going to lose sight of what the uh, ultimate purpose is. Uh, and, you know, you know, there, there's the uh, mm-hmm. make sure that we keep Jesus as the reason for the season. I mean, as cliche as that is, as a parent, man, my heart really resonates with that. I want to make sure they do that. And so, yeah, that's why the doing doing this book, uh, the way that I did, the way I laid it out for my kids was uh, to really connect in with their sort of excitement over Christmas season, um, but to sort of drive them past that and help them see the, the end for which this is all happening. You know, one of the things I really appreciate about this book is just it's very simple. And, you know, I think a lot of parents, when they hear I need to disciple my kids, or I need to catechize my kids, or I need to be intentional about walking through Advent. You know, their immediately defenses go up because they're very nervous. Maybe they don't have a seminary background, or you know, they're not involved in church ministry like you and I are. You know, in a deep way, so they're like, I'm not equipped to do this. And this book, you know, it's really probably 15, 20 minutes a day at the most. You can walk this through, and each reflection is kind of a jumping-off point, right? That's, you, you nailed it. I mean, that's, that's exactly why I did it um, in the sort of uh, concise manner that I did. And this is this is certainly a book that I, I wanted it to be um, a sort of concrete entry level uh, way in which a family uh, can can engage in these activities. And so, yeah, for a lot of people, they have this big um, ideal uh, complex scenario worked up in their head about what family worship should be and what family discipleship should be, and they. If they work it up to that that level, um, then it's understandable that people that, that fathers in particular feel feel ill equipped to lead their family in this, and so that feeling of uh, inadequacy just leads them to not to do anything. I, I, I can't do that. I'm, I don't have the background and training. What if my kid asks me a question I don't know the answer to? And so those sorts of things lead them to to simply um, shy away from it. And so the You'll, you said it in, in, in the way you introduced it is, is that it's just it's really short and concise and, and the way that I did it. So if you if you come to this expecting, uh, you know, a Bible passage and then a, a four page exposition <laughs> of the deep deep truths of, um, you know, chasing every single theological theme that comes out of that that truth with uh, footnotes and, and all this. This is not that book. This this is a book that is it, it puts these biblical truths these just glorious prophecies of Christ. It puts them on the low shelf. It's, it takes them in, in a, a family that has no experience whatsoever um, with family worship or devotionals or anything like that, can sit down, um, kind of bring your kids together, read read the verse, meditate on, on that. Um, there's a very short sentence that kind of just unpacks a little bit of the the sort of theological implications of that. And as you go through 25 days of it, you'll see that there's a sort of thread that winds its way all through that. And that as you build upon promise after promise, day after day, you'll see the overarching story come out. And that's, that's the intent basically is a little piece by little piece, building a bigger story so that when it culminates on Christmas day and you're in Daniel chapter seven, reading about the eternal reign of the King uh, you're celebrating in a way that has this rich depth to it that's built up and culminated over the course of the entire uh, month. But you'll know that each each day is is just not that complex. It's for you know read read a verse, read a little bit a uh, little sentence that kind of get, drives home the main point and connects the dots. And then there's a few discussion questions that uh, you can engage your kids with, and um, 
you know, and I, I think it's helpful to make it concise and simple like that because that increases its flexibility. Yeah, absolutely. And so uh, family worship looks different in different homes. I've, I've never been in two homes that have the exact same sort of setup and style and method and liturgy of family worship. Um, and so for some families, this is going to be something that uh, they can just pick up this book and do a simple morning time devotion that takes 10 to 15 minutes max. Um, for some families like mine, the context in which I, I wrote these things, it was fitting into sort of a larger liturgy of family worship where we come together, mm-hmm. we sing a hymn, we uh, we pray, we read the, uh, a verse or a passage, and we kind of discuss it a little bit, and uh, we'll you know then sing the doxology and close. You know, we we have this sort of larger um, sort of order of worship, if you will. It's, it's loose, but it's this somewhat order of worship that we do, and then this just sort of plugs into the Bible reading passage. Uh, a section of, of that. And so um, hopefully this is a, a material that's uh, low-hanging fruit, concise and impactful, but uh, easy to do. Um, and you can kind of ramp it up to however complicated you want to be with your own family worship. Um, it kind of, you know, each each home is different and unique and needs to sort of get a feel for how best to minister to the kids in that way. Absolutely. Well, our family is definitely going to use this to walk through Advent season. We're I'm appreciative of this. It's a great tool that I would encourage, you know, even churches uh, could use as a resource to give to their to their families to help equip them. The last question is this, you know, one of the things I notice about Christmas and Christians at Christmas is we kind of get a little bit, it seems like we get so cranky, you know, we talk endlessly about the commercialization and, you know, and really miss what I think is just a great opportunity every year to tell the grand and beautiful story of Christmas and of the gospel, the incarnation. Uh, this is our story. Uh, this is our time. And so maybe speak to how families can use this to not, you know, not be so defensive about Christmas, but all, just being, you know, joyful. Uh, yeah, that's that really was, in terms of the way that I arranged this book with the kind of the, the, the prophecies that it, it sort of give a multifaceted view of who Scripture promised Jesus to be, the, somewhat the driving impetus behind that was just my love for biblical theology. And so this, the, the sort of stream of theology in which you arc out the entire redemptive story over the course of Scripture, it's, the, it's Criswell's scarlet thread that kind of mm-hmm. runs through all of Scripture. It's, it's just this idea that um, focusing on the overarching story and seeing how all of the pieces kind of come together and then make up this beautiful story that is the story of, uh, of a God who loves his people so much that though they ran away from him, he was um, uh, humble enough to, to lower himself to come down on the rescue mission and to save his people and to redeem them and bring them back into his family forever. Um, and so positively telling that story to the kids, and that's a, a story that the kids engage with. I mean, that's the, that's the story that is the, the sort of heart of every single fairy tale. I've heard, uh, I think it's N.D. Wilson who said, like, the basic story of the Bible is the hero kills the dragon and gets the girl. And it's like, if kids can't latch on and get, you know, interest in that, then, I mean, there's nothing that will interest them. So sort of framing it in that overarching way, and, and that helps me. So if I'm positively putting forward that story to them, that's going to help them get excited and recognize the phony gospel that's out there, the sort of fake commercialized uh, mm. Chris, Christmas that's out there. They'll they'll see the counterfeit because they know the beautiful, glorious story so well. And so therefore, I don't have to be a curmudgeon in the home. I don't have to sit there and lecture my kids about 
you know, constantly lecturing them about Jesus is the reason for the season, and don't let those imposters come in and spoil your Christmas spirit. And right. um, I, I don't have to focus on the negative things like that. I just put the beautiful scriptural picture of this massively uh, engaging Christ and the mission that he came on to rescue us, and we revel in that all month long, and then therefore um, the, the family is, becomes completely centered on on this glorious Jesus, and, and it just makes it, it really, for our, this is probably what our, our, our fifth year as a family walking through these exact passages, and oh man, from experience, it, uh, it really heightens our anticipation of Christmas, um, not just for the celebration of the birth of Christ in the manger, but also heightens our anticipation of what Christmas points to ultimately, which is Christ's second advent, his second coming. He's, he came, he saved, he's coming back to finish the mission once and for all. And uh, so uh, putting up that glorious picture of Christ in a positive way and letting Scripture kind of give this well-rounded um, uh, view of, of Jesus in, in all of his glory is, that's in our home, that's, that's how we uh, keep Jesus at the center of this uh, otherwise easy-to-commercialize season. Um, and it's just, I mean, it's, it's, it's part of our family. It's, it's, uh, it's, it helps us keep our, our center in the word. And it's uh, Baxter, Richard Baxter has this uh, great phrase where he talks about how families should be for God as well as they are from him. And so we take our cue somewhat from that, that we know that God created us. He drew us together as a family. Um, and uh, we want to make sure that we're returning our interest, our affection, our praise, um, returning all that back to him and that we exist for his glory. Well, thank you so much, Dr. Scott James. Uh, I encourage everyone to, to get this book, The Expected One, Walk Your Family Through Advent Season. Thank you for that great word, and thank you for being on the Way Home Podcast. It's a pleasure, Dan. Thanks so much. Thanks for all you do. Well, I want to thank Dr. Scott James for that great conversation. If you enjoyed this podcast, would you let us know by sending us an email, wayhome at erlc.com, or writing a review on iTunes. Uh, you can listen to the Way Home podcast through iTunes, through TuneIn, through Stitcher, or a new interactive podcast player called Signal that's available for Apple devices. Previous episodes of the Way Home podcast are available on the podcast page on my website, danieldarling.com. Also, don't forget about Evangelicals for Life, the event we're hosting with Focus on the Family and ERLC January 21st and 22nd in Washington, D.C. If you're a Way Home Podcast listener, you can receive a 20% off registration by using the coupon code WAYHOME. That's WAYHOME in all caps. More information will be on my website at danieldarling.com. For now, thank you for listening to the Way Home Podcast. The Way Home is recorded and produced by Gary Lancaster. Research is conducted by David Clausen, and scheduling is handled by Marie Delph. The Way Home is a production of the Ethics and Religious Liberty Commission of the Southern Baptist Convention.